Yes, he does. Deep in the pocket. Touchdown. Touchdown, Chicago. You're listening to the number one Chicago Bears podcast. Unrivaled, unmatched, and unequaled. Hogan Johns. Covering the Bears from CHGO, it's Adam Ho. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Together, they're the Adams. The Adams converge. The consummate pros, the incomparable Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you in Florida. It's Palm nice Beach. Here. Yeah. 80 degrees. Sorry if you're listening up north in yeah, Chicago. Sounds, sounds like Chicago's having second winter right now. Third winter still on the way. Fourth winter on the horizon. And we feel uh, so bad about it right now as we come to you from we Palm don't. Beach next Sorry. to the ocean. But hey, we got a special episode for you today because new Bears head coach Matt Eberflus is with us. You excited or... <laughs> Or you thought oh. you thought we were jumping right I in? I thought you were jumping that. right in. No, no, we still got to say hi. There's an hello awkward pause to our, there, but yeah. uh, yes, extremely excited. We, I mean, it's not our first awkward pause here on this podcast, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, but <laughs> welcome in. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Plenty of coverage from down here as well. You should check in on on the Athletic, theAthletic.com slash Hogan Johns. I know you have some observations up. You, uh, Kevin's got some observations thoughts and that's what you guys do best really yeah we observe i I do things we observe reports yeah uh but we've had a lot of conversations with well with ryan poles yesterday maddie bierfluss today beyond this podcast there's a lot of information to get through yeah a lot of culture setting things for the chicago bears to get through and uh i will i actually already have some coverage up on allchgo.com some interesting stuff that actually you're going to hear us talk to Matt Eberflus a little bit about too, but the connection with Lovey Smith because I had a chance to talk to Lovey yesterday. Um, I think you'll find that interesting. So that's all up on allchgo.com. Get those memberships and join us there. Um, but I think we should dive right in. Let's with go the, with the head coach. We just got done talking to him, so we'll we'll uh, let you guys hear what what he had to say. Some I thought it was an interesting conversation, and uh, on the back end we'll. We'll come back and, and give our thoughts. But here he is, the head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Eberflus. Well, we are pleased to welcome the head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Eberflus, onto the Hogan Johns podcast for the first time. Welcome. Hope- hey, I'm happy to be here, guys. I really am, and uh, thanks for having me. Hope it's the first of, a, of at least a few times here. Uh, excited to have you here. And uh, yeah, you've signed up for like every year now. <laughs> just, just, I saw just it in my so contract. You know. it, was, yeah. it said I was on the podcast at least three or four times a year. So wow, I'm glad they snuck that in. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got to sneak that in. Um, okay, so your your first owners meetings. How's it? How's it been? You just got out of a big vote that changing rules and overtime. I right. mean, what, what's it been like? It, it's really nice. I mean, obviously the facility, the breakers is, is outstanding. The NFL puts on a first class, uh, you know, first class operation here and uh, got a chance to have my family down here. So it's been nice. And, and you get to see all your friends, you know, your friends that you work, work with. I've been you know, almost 15 years in the league. So, uh, you know, Brian Dable is one of my friends and, you know, it's got a chance to see him, Nick Sirianni, Frank, you know, and you get a chance to catch up. And it was uh, it was nice. It's been nice. I think you stood next to Brian in the team picture. Did you not? Or was that him behind you? I, I did. I feel like he should be in front. Yes. <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> I, I stood there. Yeah, stood next to him and Mike T. So it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, is there an order that you get? Like, do they put you in an order on the, in that photo? We see it every year. Or was it just line up however you want? Yeah, I think there should be an order. Okay. Yeah, but the, I don't think there was. Short, it used to be like short guys in front. Well, I think Sean McVay was in front. He was in front, but yes. He probably wanted to be there, you know. <laughs> Sunglasses <laughs> Well, he should on. be. Yeah. He, he, he won it, so. <laughs> he, did, he did get the win this year. Hey, uh, speaking of another head coach in the league, I got a chance to talk to Lovey Smith yesterday mm-hmm. a little bit, and – um, cause I was curious, you guys never actually coached together, right? but I wanted to know the kind of the genesis of when you guys first started talking about this defense that you guys obviously believe in. And he mentioned about how it was back when he was the Rams defense coordinator and you were down the highway over yes. with, with Missouri. What, what was that? What was that draw? I guess for you to, to seek out, were you the one that initiated that and to seek out Lovey Smith and say, Hey, let's learn more about this defense. Yeah. So the year, and, and again, it could be off by a couple of years, but it was the year that Tampa Bay uh, went to the Super Bowl and they won and they dominated in the Super Bowl. Um, and Lovey was already at, at the Rams and I was at Mizzou. I was a defensive coordinator at Mizzou and I'd been there for a couple of years. We had used the 4 4 defense that was popularized by the Washington Huskies of the 1990 that won the national championship with Don James. And we had been running that for a few years. And we had since switched over to the Big 12, going to Missouri from Toledo. And Coach Pinkle asked me, he said, hey, you know, think about you know, just looking at the structure of defense and, you know, maybe we need to adjust. And at the time, Oklahoma and Kansas City, you know, Oklahoma uh, with the Stoops brothers and then Kansas, Kansas State, and I forget who the coordinator was there, but they were both all running four three schemes. Okay. So I was watching the Super Bowl and looking at it, and I said, you know, Coach, I said I, I want to investigate this more in this off season to see where we're going to go. So I end up talking to Lovey. I think one of his sons was checking out schools and colleges at the time. He came over. I talked to him. I said, Hey, would you mind us coming over there and, and talking to you about your defense? And so we went over there and visited with him, um, and then we um, went to Indianapolis. You know, that's where Coach Dungey was. And then over the year, and then we end up adopting the, the defense. We put it in, and we put our own style on it, of course. But uh, and then over the years, we came up and visited with Chicago when, when he was there in the early 2000s. So, um, yeah, that's where we first met. How much did he come up in your conversations with uh, the former Bears players with text message or, or phone calls? Because I'm, I'm sure you talked to some of those guys, Brian Erlachers, the Charles Tillmans. What did they tell you about – that era of Bears football with Lovey Smith and Rod Marinelli and what you could bring to it. Yeah, it's really the, really the same in terms of, uh, you know, just hearing the names, like you said, you know, Rod Marinelli and, and Lovey Smith and, and all the guys that are in that, that generation of Chicago Bears football. And it was, uh, it's a great memory for them because yeah. they, they, they dominated, you know, they had dominating performances and they were able to win a lot of games, you know, and go to the Super Bowl and, um, it was an exciting time for them, and, they, and they're looking forward uh, to the Chicago Bears getting back to that, and uh, and they want to be a part of it. Is, is that like a brand of football? Not so much like an identity, but like who the Bears are supposed to be. Like, how much did you maybe seek out for that? Seek out that information for what you want to build here. Like, who they're supposed to be? That brand of football that the Bears are known for. Yeah, it's a style. It really is a style. And you say, well, what does that mean? You can see it. And you can feel it, and you and you when you, you when you look at it, you say, "Okay, that that's what we're talking about right there," and you should be able to see that from ten thousand feet. And it's more about you know what we're doing is important, but how we do it. So um, the hits principle was was genesis off of that, um, and that's where way I built it for the linebackers initially uh, when I was with Coach Marinelli. 
uh, back in Dallas, and I brought it to the Indianapolis Colts, and now we're taking it on here to the Chicago Bears. But uh, uh, it's a how, and it's a way to measure it, you know, and that style has always been there with the Tampa Bay and Chicago and, you know, the long history. But it was a way for us to measure it and give it to the players. And I think it really just did it out of the fact that the players are so smart now and they want to have proof of, hey, why are we doing this? Because it wins. But what do you actually want me to do? And it was a way for us to measure it and they could do it. Okay, this is what you want, coach, and this is yeah. what you don't want. And it was easy for them and it was an easy way for us to hold them accountable. When, when you say that you could feel it, I guess – as somebody who's sitting up in the press box for the games, the way I think of that is like the bears have had defenses in the past where like, you didn't want to miss a snap when they were on the field because you knew a takeaway swarming like, like either Charles Tim would knock the ball out or, you know, somebody would get an interception or somebody would sack, you know, get a strip sack. Like you just could tell on any play. How does that materialize when you have a defense like that? Cause that's what you're going to be preaching here. Take the ball away, rally to the football something yep. lovey was talking about yesterday like why why would i do a one-on-one battle when i could bring 10 of my friends right right uh, when you when you have that possibility of creating a takeaway on any snap how does that affect your coaching no it's it's it does affect your coaching because everybody's punching and ripping at the ball every single play and we don't know what play it's going to be but we're going to get two to three takeaways a game and when you when you see it that way it's, you have to be on point. You got to be hustling. You got to be uh, ready. You got to be alert, and and you got to be humming to the ball. And because you never know when it's going to happen. When's going to be your scoop and score moment? When's going to be your punch out moment? When's going to be your t- your interception moment? And then now we we have one instantaneous reactions. So it's now a score. Um, you know, take it up to numbers and score, and everybody gets a block. And that has to be coached, and that has to be wrapped by the players. You know, so it, it's it's exciting to watch every single play, and that's it's like you said, we're swarming to the ball. We have a thing called uh, team defensive tackle, which is seven plus seven plus players to the ball on any intermediate pass or run play. So anything that's under fifteen yards, um, we want seven guys to the football. How much of this is combining talent with attitude? I guess given your experience, how much does that attitude enhance the talent that you have, or take? make a good player great with the certain attitude that's needed by the team. Yeah, so we, we, if you look at the system over the years, it'll take a player that's that's a pretty good player. You know, let's just call him a B player. It'll make him an A-minus player. You know, it'll take a, a, a C-plus player and make him a B-plus player. I mean, just because of the effort and the attitude in which they play. And then when you add the, you know, Peppers and you know, Erlockers and the guys that are Hall of Fame type players, man, then the defense just rises up uh, from there because those are A-plus players to begin with. And, man, now they're the Hall of Fame type players, and, and that's um, that's what you want. So I liked hearing on, along those lines what you said today, the Eminem uh, motor and mean today yeah. when you were talking to us about mm-hmm. that earlier this morning. Um, with Lucas Patrick, because it's been some of the talk about how he plays, right, what what kind of insight did Luke Getzey give you, like when his name first came up, is and what kind of player you might be getting? Yeah, this he he first talked about the man, um, and he talked about the character, uh, the high character, and then he talked about leadership, and then how he rallied the offensive line together, and he was the focal point for that leadership and, and the and just the way he worked. So to me, I was just like, man, that sounds like our kind of guy, and he said it is our kind of guy. 
And that's what was so, uh, was so cool about that process because Luke knows him. Yeah. And when you live with somebody for that long and you are, you know, day in and day out working with them, you know them. You know, know, know them. So that's what was important for us. With the hitch philosophy, where does the quarterback fit into that in terms of communication, being that face of the franchise, being the face of your voice a right. little bit? How does Justin Fields fit into this hitch philosophy? Well, Justin's got high character. You know, he loves football and he wants to work hard. And he and he's he's he does work hard. And he's been a great you know a great worker since I've been here. And he's been working his tail off. So in terms of the hustle and effort, he's going to fit right into that. The intensity for the quarterback is more about mental intensity and mental focus, you know, making sure he's operating the offense and, you know, obviously taking care of the ball, making good decisions, good timing, you know, and then situations. I mean, shoot, that is, that's all quarterback play. So um, we're going to work him through those situations. And we just went through with every coordinator, the uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and special teams guy, and it took – about 10 hours to do all three groups and going over what we call those situations. And that's going to be imparted onto the quarterback. And he's going to have to be an expert at that. When you look at Justin with your defensive coordinator hat on, what strikes you? What puts fear into your defense? What keeps you up at night? And now that you have him, like, what excites you on the other end? Yeah, you know, the one thing is his mobility. You know, his ability to, you know, the untimed down, you know, where it's, hey, okay, one, two, throw the ball, okay, hand it off or run a boot pass those, or a screen. Those are all normal timed plays. But when it becomes untimed where it's, hey, it's, it's past the normal time. And it's now, man, that's, he's dangerous. He's dangerous because now he want, we want to be able to look down the field and strike people that way rather than running. You know, and that's, that's where that, that'll make him extremely dangerous. The play after the play. Exactly. Yep. Along those lines, if – you're looking at him and you want him to, you know, kind of speed things up with the decision making process. From a defensive side, you know the coverages, what might like you could probably turn on the tape and be like, Oh, well, this was the thing that confused him or or whatever it is. Right. How, like where do you come in, in that conversation to to help that speed up process as the offensive coaches are addressing that? Yeah, I mean I know the offensive coaches will certainly have progressions for him and, and what you know, we have like three or four different progressions that we go through in the passing game. But on the defensive side, I can tell them the techniques and fundamentals or the alignments that you can see pre-snap. Um, you can tell a lot by corners, nickel corners, by safeties, linebackers alignments, defense alignments. You know, so they all tell a story. So if he, can, he knows the story beforehand, before the ball snapped, then he's going to make faster decisions post-snap. Is that something you look forward to, like testing him through your own defense? Um, you know, like having that be part of his development his pl- his plan for for progress the test that you could give him yeah I'm excited defensively. yeah definitely I'm excited about it and uh, I'm excited about the relationship and in, in getting to know him as a person and how he operates you know just on a day-to-day basis and you know and get to know him and then uh, then the football side of it's going to be exciting too and then trying to impart some wisdom there from the defensive side do you feel like he has an, enough weapons right now to work with? I know you guys are always going to be looking to improve the yeah, roster. I do. I do. I do think he has enough, and, and we're always trying to improve. Um, we're always trying to improve that. Um, you're always trying to get better, get more. Uh, you have to. You have to do that because, you know, you, you say, is that enough? Well, there's never enough. I mean, we can always have. We can always add more and more and more there, but uh, we're always looking for speed. You know, we got to increase our speed, increase our talent level in the entire football team. Byron Pringle seems like a guy who has that speed. Uh, 
if when you're looking at trying to stop him, yes. what we what we keep you up? Yeah, we were excited about Byron Pringle. I mean, he's he's a special guy and a special player, and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. You know, during the recruiting process, and uh, he's going to bring a lot to the table. Number one, his work ethic, you know, and his his ability to run after the catch. I mean, he's he's special that way. You've used the word worker mm-hmm. a, a couple times today to describe well, it's Roquan Smith or, or David Montgomery, like define worker and how do you i guess characterize it the the need for your team uh for those workers to be part of your roster yeah so i always believe that your best players ought to be your best workers and they're the example that the whole team follows so roquan smith justin fields uh, montgomery everybody that's considered our best players on our on our roster they need to be the best workers and the reason that is is that sets culture you know when i see those guys doing it and i'm i'm you know, a backup linebacker, I'm the fifth linebacker, I'm the third halfbacker, I'm the third quarterback. I look at those guys in front of me, man, I say, geez, these guys are working. And the definition of work is to give max effort, max focus as soon as you step on the field. And and we're going to, that's going to be a standard for us. One, one guy I want to get your opinion on or thoughts on early is Thomas Graham because mm-hmm. he's, like, how do you evaluate what you can, see on tape because there's actually not a lot of tape he didn't right. play his last year at Oregon comes in as a late round pick but then when he you watch that Vikings game last year like he's getting thrown in a situation that and it was a crazy week where the Bears were sure. like down like five DBs right and he out there making plays but then he didn't play a whole lot even after that so mm-hmm. I mean how, how much value can you put on a small sample size of snaps well you can see what his skill set is you know what he's capable of doing and then now we just have to see consistency and what and get our hands on him and let him do his thing and have him show us his skill set and then we'll find the right role for him you know and then help him along the way in his skill set that's what a coach does and so you know like you said there's not a lot of information there but we like what we see in general when you have this hits philosophy or the, or the loafs based grading system that we're familiar with can you tell early if a guy fits that or not like within two or three practices or a week of training camp, can you tell early, like, okay, we got to find someone else? Well, you can, you can tell early if it's a natural fit. Like you can see right away that, hey, this guy plays. He's got great wind. He can play all day. You know, he's, he's right there. He just needs a little bit, you know, a little bit of push and a little bit of improvement. But there'll be guys that, that come in that dip their toe on the outside of the boat. And they say, well, shoot, this looks like this is pretty hard. And they said, well, and we'll see those guys. And we'll say, look, you can't do that. You got to jump in. You got to jump in with both feet and go, you know, and, and then max out and then put everything you got out there and let it go. Don't hold it back. Because a person knows this, and I tell the, I'll tell the players this, is that only you know if you're going max speed, right? So we all can get on a treadmill, right? And we can start running. But if you're holding back a little bit, Right, we've all done that because I, well, I don't want to get that tired. I do that, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, now you put it up to whatever your max speed is. Is it you know these guys is you know faster than fast can be? But we would be like at eight, eight two, nine, somewhere in there would be as fast as we could run because we're all slow. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that somebody has them. That's, yeah, and, they, and we know that. So they have to get their max speed and push past that. You know, and that's that's done here and then done in here. So we'll get them to do that and, get, and show them what that is. The last thing I have for you is kind of a follow-up to um, something we were talking about this morning, which was the, 
the difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3 these days right. defensively. You, you talked a lot about this, just the amount of sub-packages that right. a 3-4 might have. So if, the, if one of the advantages or benefits of a 4-3 is to simplify the amount of sub-packages you have, right. I guess what are the benefits? What are, what's the benefit sometimes of keeping things simple as opposed to you know, just having a lot going on? Yeah, I think that guys know their role and they know what they're uh, what they're being asked to do. Um, and I think you could focus more on the principles that we want to establish as our foundation. Um, you know, I think when you have a lot of different things that are going on, offense, defense, or kicking, be it personnel or calls, the guys will focus more on calls and what to do rather than how to do it. You know, so the how to do for us is our foundational pieces. And now the coaches can focus on that um, and coach that. And the players understand that's very important to us. Um, execution is very important to us. And I think when you limit those variables, I think you can really hone in on what your foundational pieces are. I'm curious, just like how far ahead have you thought, like how the training camp schedule is going to lay out? Like we talked earlier about joint practices. I know you want to do that, but like right. just, you know, family days and stuff at Hell. So like how mm-hmm. much forethought have you given, like how you want to run your culture like on a day-to-day basis at Alice Hall. Yeah, so I've given that a lot of thought. And um, I have a meeting schedule for my team meetings that I've gone through already all the way through training camp. And I also have a meeting schedule for, obviously, offense, defense, and kicking as we go through. And I've already lined up all the training camp schedule, um, but it's not finalized because I don't know the schedule schedule yet, you know, the preseason and all that. But I can slide and move and adjust. But, yeah, we'll, we'll be ready to go. Anything else? No. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you for your time. It's uh, it's it, pleasure having you on the podcast, and um, just always well, contractually bound. Yes, we, we'll have to keep that. We'll have to get the specifics on that. <laughs> I have to reread it's that. On, let me, let me, let me double check. No, it's, on, it's on record. It's on record. <laughs> but there he is, uh, Matt Eberflus, head coach of the Chicago Bears. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. All right. All right, Adam. Good stuff there. From uh, can we? What do we call him? Flus? Coach Flus? I like to call him the I'm not going to call him coach. He's not my coach, but no. we called him Matt during the show. That's Matt and Ryan, you know. Matt and Ryan. It's, I actually don't like calling them Matt and Ryan, though, because I just feel like that was the last seven years. I've heard Flus used a lot yeah. here. Okay. We'll try that. Next podcast. <laughs> the next podcast he's on because he is bound to us Because of his contract. Yes. Hey, what's up, Flus? Okay, that could, that could work. That could work. Um, I think what stood out to me is how much of what the Bears are trying to do right now revolves around culture and identity and attitude. It's reconnecting with what, what, with what worked previously. And, yeah. I, and I know some fans, some listeners, some watchers on YouTube, maybe watchers, viewers on YouTube might be rolling their eyes at this, but it worked. That was a brand of football that worked. It was an identity that worked, that won a lot of football games. The difference is you still have Justin Fields, but I think that brand of football, that brand of violence, that those swarming tackling, I like that they're trying to bring it back. And I think one difference, first of all, it's not new to hear a new regime talk about you know, setting a culture, installing that culture. I mean, that's what they all do, right? Be you. Um, that, but that's what I was going to get at. I don't know that the last regime was ever able to really define 
what that culture is. Where I don't think there's any doubt of what Matt Eberflus is pe- preaching every time we've had a chance to talk to him. And you can roll your eyes at the acronyms and whatever. Call him a football guy, whatever. But, like, it's it's there. How it's, long have you heard critics complain about the Bears about not having a football guy? They have an ultimate football guy. Yeah. Seemingly here in Matt Eberflus. But you know what I mean? Like, how many times, you know, we're three years into the Matt Nagy era and we're still asking, him, hey, what is your identity? Yeah. Whereas, like, not only... With Matt Eberflus, can you hear him talk about it? But there's evidence of what it already is, whether you look at his defenses in Indianapolis or, which is why I think we were talking about Lovey Smith. Like, this goes back to, you heard him mention, I thought I found that very interesting, actually, him talking about that Super Bowl win that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had over the Raiders and him saying, hey, wait a minute, like, what are they doing with this Tampa 2? How do I incorporate this into what I'm doing? And then he's basically run with it ever since. That's almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, he's not denying that Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, or John Lynch wouldn't help. He's not denying that Brian Urlacher wouldn't help, Julius Peppers. He mentioned them himself. But I think there's a certain attitude that helps as well. We know that. We should see that. I don't the Bears know if, had that attitude in 18. They had that attitude. They had that swagger. BU meant something that eventually evolved into being many things as opposed to, to being one thing. But we know that wins can come from this, this system, this style of play that he wants to bring here. And again, I think the difference is you have a quarterback this time, a young quarterback, and Justin Fields to, to – to help see this through. It's not like you have to trade for Jay Cutler or take a swing on Rex Grossman and later in the first round of the draft. You already have Justin Fields here for you to build around, which changes the conversation a bit, but you heard him. You heard from Eberflus himself. Like, Fields, the quarterback, does fit into this system, this culture that they want. Right, because of the work ethic he's already established and the leadership side that he's already established, even just as a rookie, despite not having great results on the field. Um, let, let's get to fields here in a second, but w- sticking on the defensive side of the ball, like one example I wanted to bring up, specifically when you talk about this culture, is potentially a guy like Eddie Jackson. And when you heard Flus talk to us about how hustle and intensity can... And it's not just individually, but the whole unit can turn a C-plus player into a B-plus player. And like, I think in some ways, when you look back at Eddie Jackson's 2018 season, there's no question that that's probably sort of what happened. Right? Like, he... With is, Vic Fangio. He's a talented player. But the whole swagger and the, the whole defensive unit gelling help result in him getting the amount of takeaways and getting his hands on the football as many. And everyone's wondering where that went. And then the trickle-down effect of that is, okay, when all of that's not clicking and you don't have seven guys running the football, as you said, that's the goal on some of these plays, it's going to result in some missed tackles in one-on-one situations or um, just the identity, going back to that word, of how you're playing every single snap. So when I look at Eddie Jackson, I think of a player that can specifically benefit from this type of culture that he's trying to put into the defense. It's no guarantee it will happen, but I also found it interesting this morning when we talked to Eberflus as a group, he said it would be a clean slate 
for Eddie Jackson this season in this defense? The tape, you have to go back a couple years, but the tape can still be good. I don't think his tape was even that bad this year, if I'm just being honest. That may get some eye rolls out there, but I I really (laughs) don't think it, it, it was. I just think this, the attrition on this defense was just intense, too much to, to almost overcome. Uh, to go back to 2018, this may be cliche to say, but I, I, I've always felt this way, that in retrospect, the loss of Vic Fangio was almost insurmountable. How much that defense in 2018 took on the identity of their coach. Not Matt Nagy, but Vic Fangio. But their defensive coach, yeah. And how much the identity of the team goes back to that head coach and how things kind of unraveled after that 2018 season. That's a real thing, though. It's we, a very I mean, real and thing. And you and I witnessed that when Lovey Smith left. Like, a lot of those players were the same. Granted that they were, you know, you did lose our lacquer, but that contributes it, too. Like, you start, you take away the head coach that had put that culture in. Then you take away the biggest leader, right, on that side of the football well, it's no wonder that even though some of those other talented players are still there, that the whole unit starts to fall apart. Like, so it's about getting that back. And that's why coaching matters. Yeah, and I like that Matt Eberflus has made it a point to connect with those guys. Mm-hmm. They didn't win a Super Bowl. They got close, but that era of, of Bears football won a lot of football games. Yeah. It was a darn good era. Football. You knew what you were getting. They were competitive almost every single year, despite the problems they had at quarterback and offense. They competed. You knew what you were getting. Well, and I've seen some people roll their eyes at that idea. Like, how can former players really help you? Um, I don't know, because they're former players who may have some insight in how you know right, players exactly. tend to work. Well, and, and like, and an even more specific example is if your whole thing is trying to create takeaways and you're a team that struggled to take the ball away. And you have a guy who still lives in the Chicago area named Charles Tillman who literally invented the peanut punch. <laughs> Why would you not yeah. have that guy come out to your practice facility and show your players how he did that? Right. Or if you're going to move Roquan Smith to the weak side linebacker, there's a darn good one that talks <laughs> talks after games in NBA Sports Chicago. Yeah. No, it's, it, 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 there's, it, it's not just about having them share their ideas to the head coach over the phone. Like it sounds like he wants these guys to to come visit and he's gonna try to get these guys to come through the building and not only physically share some of the techniques that they might be able to show, but also explain to these players what worked from that era. Yes. Like why they got so close, yes. why that culture was there and why the results were produced. Um I, I actually don't understand why anyone would roll their eyes at that. At, at a minimum, it can't hurt you. No. And there are definitely some benefits that can come from it. Uh, Floos didn't, I called him Floos. I think that works. That sounds all right, right? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I did too a few months okay, ago. Okay, so I, I think Floos didn't exactly come out and say it. But in a way, he seems to be looking for tips, advice. Like you just said, for what worked, what clicked. Why Lance Briggs liked playing for Rod Marinelli. And Lovey Smith. Why Brian Urlacher became Lovey Smith's leader. Mm-hmm. This is a first time head coach. He can find answers all over the place, but I like that he's going back to the recently most successful era of Bears football. Guys that are still in town, guys that are all over television or on billboards for hair ads, depending who you're talking to. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you're if you know what it takes to to win in the city, and you're really the last successful team that did it somewhat consistently, and you're a coaching staff that hasn't been here, or a GM who hasn't been here, why would you not tap into that? Knowledge? Yeah, I just yeah. To me, it seems like a, an easy thing to do. And what I like is that they don't. The impression I get from Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus is they don't think they have all the answers, but they're trying to develop the best answers they can for for now and the future in terms of identity, culture, and personnel. Which brings us to some of the conversation with Ryan Poles yesterday, where I sense some humility in addressing specifically the Larry Ogunjobi thing. You know, and he wasn't afraid to talk about like how it was a setback. Like that's a that's a good way to put it. Unfortunate for everyone involved, especially for Larry Ogunjobi, who didn't get the contract, you know, the life changing contract he thought he was getting. Um, but for the Bears too, it you know, it sure sounds like they were misled a little bit. And it, it, at least did not once they were able to get the player into their building and do the scans that they needed to, to get, it was not what they were expecting based on the conversations that had led up to them agreeing to terms with the guy. Um, and Poles admitted that it cost them a few days. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's the moment that stuck out to me from that conversation that we had, that they went into free agency considering spending money and at least a first wave splash, which turned out to be Ogunjobi. By agreeing to that deal, they could not make other moves because that was the money they committed to that. Yeah. And that's that's something to learn from. But that's okay. It really is. I think so. Well, and that's what we're getting back at, or what you just talked about a few minutes ago, which was the, the idea that these guys are not acting like they know everything and that they're willing to learn from what plays out. Like, that's all you you really want to ask from these guys. Every single GM, every single head coach is going to make mistakes through the process. You know, Iberflus is going to challenge a play that everybody's going to be bitching about. You know, it's a, it's, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And the whole point is learning from those mistakes. So, you know, it's unfortunate that Larry Ogunjobi was Brian Poles' first signing. I still think at the end of it, you know, you, you learn lessons. You made the right call not to sign the guy for what you had agreed to based on the information. Left the changing. door open for potential signing down the road for a lesser deal. Sure. Um, but it still is unfortunate that you probably missed out on a different player or two, depending on who those guys might have been, that could have helped the team. So now next year when you go through the whole process again and maybe you're willing to spend even more next year, when you have a lot more cap space, you might be a little bit better of a football team. You, you now have those experiences to go back. I'm glad you brought that up because just from talking with Flus, whether it's the breakfast in the courtyard or on the couches that we're sitting on right now, maintaining that long-term vision, he seems to be comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. There's not this win-now pressure or stress that I felt like existed in 2015 where John Fox and really the front office, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, talked about quick turnarounds. They kept Jay Cutler for two years. They're not talking about that right now. 
And I think Eberflus, Flus, got to find a way to call him, describe <laughs> Flus. Like, although this may be a struggle for him because he wants to win games. But he's made, he seems to be comfortable maintaining that long-term vision or, or this plan that Ryan Poles and himself are bringing to fruition in terms of roster construction, identity building, all those things in terms of building a different foundation for the Bears. You know, and it brings it. you saying that just kind of brought me back to 2015 and maybe the comparisons we can make between holding on to Jay Cutler too long and cutting ties with Khalil Mack right away. Because, you know, like I, I think those contracts, those situations are somewhat comparable where, and I don't remember exactly where, I mean, Cutler's contract was big. I don't remember exactly what the dead money would have been. But I do know, and we've heard the stories over the years, that there were other general managers, candidates. There were other head coaching candidates that when they interviewed, came in and said, we need to start there at the quarterback. We need to get Jay out of there, start a over. A true clean slate. And wherever level it came in, that did not happen. Even though it seems like in hindsight, Ryan Pace probably felt the same way, if not right away, pretty quickly, that they had to go in a different direction at quarterback. But instead, they didn't make that move right away. So Cutler's contract lingers. Like instead of taking that huge hit right away and clearing things out for 2016, it lingered for a couple of years before you were able to finally cut cut ties. And in this case, with Khalil Mack, who's quite frankly a better player, you know, they made it. We heard Iberflu say it today it was it was unanimous. Uh, the, everyone was on the same page with it that it was the right thing to do to set the Bears up for better success going forward, not necessarily in 2022 when you're losing, you know, your best pass rusher, you're eating a lot of money on the cap, but starting next season, you're going to have all that space to work with. And by the way, I still think the defense is going to be solid this year. Well, just based on coaching, it should be. I I think that goes back to organizational messaging, organizational goals. I'll still remember Ted Phillips standing in the corner of the – PNC Center, I don't know if it was called the PNC Center back then, but the media room of Hallis Hall and talking about quick turnarounds and how John Fox has a history of them and how that was a goal or how George McCaskey would say back then that winning the Super Bowl is a goal every single season. That type of pressure doesn't seem to exist. Rightfully doesn't seem to exist yeah. for Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus in 2022, nor should it be there in 2023. They're being afforded the time and the patience to build build something. Now, Ryan Pace was afforded that at a certain point in his career with the Bears, but Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus seem to be getting that from the very beginning. Yeah. No, I and I think that that's... And, and to their credit, maybe that's George and Ted learning from those past experiences and realizing that you should probably let the general manager tell you how good the team's going to be and not just come in and be like, yeah, quick turnaround, let's do it. Because that roster had... Nothing back in 2015. Oh, that needed. I think if <laughs> especially you especially on to, defense. I think if you talk to po- uh, Polks, Polks, folks from that organization back then who worked for the Bears of 2015, they would tell you they wish they did more. I don't know what I just I like. I think you just combined polls, polls, Nick Foles, <laughs> and Nick Folk 
<laughs> the kicker who never played for the Bears. But I think you somehow just combine that all in the one word. I think my mind said people, but my mouth said folks. <laughs> Those are two different words, but that mean the same thing. <laughs> yes, but yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that was a fun conversation. I, I, I thought so. And you heard it there. He's contractually bound to doing the Hogan Johns podcast. Done. I don't know. I don't know who snuck that in the contract. <laughs> but we're thankful. But thank you. I mean, I knew we had a little bit of pull at House Hall, but I didn't know that much. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. I, I like, like for, for the obsession in this town, not Palm Beach, but Chicago, about the Bears needing and requiring a football guy. They have two football guys. Like they, they exude football guy isms. Yeah. From the hits to the Eminem stuff. Like this, roll your eyes at it if you want. I find it somewhat encouraging. Now, I want to be clear. Like, I still have my reservations, and we've certainly learned our lesson about jumping all in and trusting the guys that are hired here because we all know how this usually ends in Chicago. But we also have a part of our job, including being reserved about some of the stuff that they're preaching to us and asking questions about them and pushing back a little bit is also like you have to give them at least a little bit of the benefit of benefit of the doubt because it's not their fault that the bears have been in yeah. this position. It's, you know, they have nothing to do with the organization until the day that they start their job. Um, do I think that they they've done enough to help Justin? I still don't feel that way. I but, agree. You know, I'm also willing to sit here and understand that it's, what is today, March 29th as we record this. And there's a lot more time. We saw the Bears sign two guys in Jason Peters and Alec Ogletree in August last year that made a difference, that were solid players, more than solid in Jason Peters' case. So there's still a lot that can happen. But I still am like, all right, understand the approach you guys are taking still have some questions about yeah. what's going on. I, I think we have to remind ourselves to be patient as well. I just think in terms, since the theme of this podcast has become learning from lessons, I like what I'm hearing more from Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles than I heard from Mark Tressman and Phil Emery in 2013. I was at those owners' meetings. Mm -hmm. I like what I'm hearing more from Poles and Eberflus than I heard in 2015 from Fox and Pace. I was at those owners' meetings too. We've been through this. Even 2018, when things seemed to be changing, and we saw that play out in 2018 with that season, winning the division, going to the playoffs, you could feel that. This feels different to me than 2013, 2015. I find it more encouraging just in terms of messaging, principles, identity building, foundation setting. Yeah. Feels different, seems different, all of the above. I think so, too. Um and this is kind of a – it's interesting because we heard in that interview with Eberflus how you could just kind of feel the defense sometimes, right, that feeling. A lot of that – and we've actually, we've talked about this on this podcast before. That's part of what we do too. Like you just have a sometimes a feeling um, about how things are going. And to me, almost the attitude that Ryan Poles had talking to us yesterday was more important than anything he actually said. Like, there was a different level of confidence that I felt from his introductory press conference uh, and even at the Combine 
I felt he was more comfortable to combine. But I thought yesterday he spoke with conviction a little bit more. Um, and he wasn't afraid to share things. And he treated... Because when you're not only talking to the media, you're talking to your fan base, right? And he didn't... like He treated everyone like... Like, they didn't, he didn't insult anyone's intelligence, if that makes sense. Like, we know the Ogunjobi thing wasn't great. Yeah. We talked about that when it happened. Um, so he didn't treat it like, you know, he didn't try to say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Which has sometimes happened a lot in this, with this yeah, organization. Yeah, what did he say the about the, the Ryan Bates move or, or it stinks. Black Draft? It stinks. Which he literally found out, like, as he was talking to us, yes, I guess. It stinks. Yeah. It's first time GM. There are things for him to. To experience for the first time. Yeah. Matt Eberflus is the first time head coach. He's got to experience things for the first time, and that's that applies to game day. That applies that applies right now here in Palm Beach. That applies in the preseason, training camp, all that stuff. But in terms of messaging, which is all we have right now to evaluate, to critique, I like the feel of it more than Grow the man, 2013. <laughs> Grow we know the man. it's worked. Yeah, it requires talent, but we know that attitude works. We know it resonates with the right players. Those right players are still active in the city of Chicago. What else? Go ahead, I'm listening. So here's what's interesting about what I the button I just pushed. I don't know what I just pushed. <laughs> <laughs> you know. They have these things called labels. So I have labels on here. That, and it's a little, uh, our listeners can't see this because this is one of the few episodes we've done recently where we don't have video. And we apologize for that, but it's part of our setup. You can see here your pictures. Florida. But we have some good photos. Hopefully you're enjoying that. If you're watching on YouTube right now, find our YouTube channel, Hogan Johns. Appreciate you. Um, but usually this board in front of me, these are called hot buttons. And there's a there's there's like a, a thing that sits here, Johns, that labels them. And I lost that somewhere in my bag transporting this. I have it. It's just not on it right now. So now it's like a mystery button. Instead of having it labeled, the only one I know for sure is... No. That I know is Mike Glennon. Because <laughs> I, I press it a lot. The purple no. button. <laughs> that one I know. I think the one I pressed earlier was Matt Nagy, which is why I pressed it. But I may have been off by a button. So if it wasn't, you just got to, you know, it's it's... Guess what noise is about to come out? I don't know. <laughs> Here's Josh sitting talking about smoking meats. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That's not on this board, but I do love that soundbite. All right. Well, here's the deal. It is uh, getting into be uh, mid-afternoon on Tuesday. These owners' meetings are almost done. Fluce is done. The GMs, I think, are done. The owners, I think, have one more meeting, and then we're going to hear from George McCaskey a little bit later on today, uh, which will be his first time talking since hiring Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. Um, and uh, then, really, the only thing left to do is have a couple beers and hang out on the beach. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. We wish you guys were all here with us. We do, actually. But um, I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm tired. Me too. Why are all these NFL like I don't I don't mean to be complaining, but like all the way they pack these NFL events in the combines the same way. It's like sleep little, work a lot, work a lot. Well, our first meeting, our first interview session was at seven forty-five Eastern time, which is six forty-five Chicago time. That's part of it. Yes, 
and I am never up out of bed and fully active and showered and engaged in life until at least seven ten. <laughs> well, and they always have this big NFL reception the night before. Yes, that does not help either. Which so the AFC coaches got off the hook because they split them up this year, and the AFC coaches talked Monday, but Monday night was the reception. So the NFC coaches had to go bright and early. I mean, the sun was literally rising as we got here. Yes, yeah, it was. Beautiful, by the way. So I'm not complaining about that. Not complaining at all, actually. But I just find that, I've always found that interesting. Let's have this massive NFL party and then uh, make all the coaches wake up. Early. Yeah. You like, there was to. some photo going on on Twitter today where Kyle Shanahan looked like he was half asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> that man needed some McDonald's breakfast. I definitely needed more coffee than I had this morning. But, um, no, I this is one of my favorite events of the year. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed our conversation from uh, from the owners' meetings. And having Matt Eberflus on the podcast was was awesome. So we thank him and the Bears for letting that happen. Um, you and Kevin will be back later this week with another episode kind of following up on all yes, this Yes, on Thursday I think we'll play some of George McCaskey's press conference from later today. Yep. Bring you some of those highlights. But, yes, enjoy your little getaway move. Yeah, it's not really a getaway. It's uh, plenty of work that will be happening. But, yeah, it will be taking off a couple days here at the end of the week. So it will be Adam Johns, Kevin Fishbane with you later on. Uh, Make sure you're tuning in for that on Thursday. We're out of here for now. Follow us on Twitter, at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Um, Whole interview up on YouTube as well. Uh, all our podcasts are up on YouTube. Find that on the Hogan Johns YouTube page. Check us out at obviousshirts.com. The merch is all up. Good time to get those hats and those T-shirts now as we get into some warmer weather. Uh, so check that out at obviousshirts.com. And you guys will be back later in the week. See ya. Hey, what's up, Flues?